0: I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti Heroes Journey podcast. Hey, everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook and one of the many translations available or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t-shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense all the things you could ever want and never need and get 10% off with the code all caps friend10 go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, All caps, Friend 10, to get 10 percent off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, anti-heroes journeyers? It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Doc Askins coming back at you with another one of these Q5 podcasts that I know everybody loves so much where I'm asking a whole bunch of different people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds the same five questions over and over again. So you can see how similar and how different we all might really be when you scratch a little bit below the surface. Today, I've got a treat for you. I've got Dr. Kyle W. Mack. He is a doctor of pharmacy and an attorney. He has spent most of his career advising multinational pharmaceutical companies and medical device manufacturers on regulatory compliance matters, as well as defending them in national product liability litigations. Over the past few years, he has shifted his professional focus to assisting companies and healthcare practitioners operating in the medicinal psychedelic space. He recently launched a consulting firm, Vivanti Advisors, to further this aim and help stakeholders navigate the complex regulatory landscape medicinal psychedelics face. Kyle, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast with me today, my friend.
1: Pleasure being here. Thanks, doc.
0: Let's get things rocking and rolling with question number one. What's your story?
1: It's a great intro question. So I think for some context, we need to go back When I was in my last year of undergrad, so I was a biochemistry major with aspirations of going to law school, always wanted to go to law school. One of my professors who became a close friend sat me down and politely suggested that law school would be a complete waste of my time and that I really should go to med school. After a fair amount of persuasion, she relented about me going to law school, but held firm that I shouldn't give up on the field of medicine in some capacity. So a few days later, she called me back into her office and told me that she heard through the great mind the University of Buffalo was going to be launching a new combined program, law school with a doctor of pharmacy. The way she phrased it, it sounded like an incredible challenge. And I'm one of those people, if you challenge me, I'm, I'm going to accept it. So I took the entrance exams, I applied, and I became the first combined PharmD-JD student. So it was a it was a six year program, and I was doing law school and pharmacy school simultaneously. After I graduated, I accepted a position with uh, a law. Hold on, from- like that's
0: two incredibly different ways of thinking: pharmacology and legalese at the same time. Like you only have two hemispheres in your brain, right? Like I
1: said, it sounded like a good challenge when she pitched <laughs> it. After <laughs> living it, I probably. I I don't think I would have done it any different other than I would have done them separately. Okay. Get one degree and then the other degree because it didn't save that much
0: time. Sequential suck factor instead of simultaneous. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But I made it through. After I graduated, I accepted a position with a law firm and this firm housed a team of attorney scientists. And as you said in the intro, we represented multinational pharmaceutical companies, specifically serving as their science counsel. So we advised them on a multitude of regulatory and legal issues that pertain to prescription and over-the-counter medications. And after about 10 years of me being there, the team sort of broke up due to retirements and departures to competitors. So we needed to pivot. So I shifted my focus to not only working with pharmaceutical companies, but also medical device manufacturers and healthcare systems. And that was going really well for a while. But then life kind of stepped in and gave me a wake-up call. So this is where the psychedelic component of my journey started. It was Memorial Day 2021. It was freezing cold. And I was riding a motorcycle down a rural road along the Lake Ontario shoreline. And an SUV executed a U-turn directly in front of me. And I broadsided it Oof. about fifty miles an hour. Oof! So, what was left of me came to rest sixty feet beyond the impact point in a ditch. Fortuitously, the yard that I landed in was owned by a career EMT, and she just happened to be standing in yeah. her driveway out with there some mowing friends. the lawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So she got to me within seconds. She stabilized me. But then she coordinated all the care for all the first responders that came. Yeah. She managed to get all the hold incident of my wife.
0: commander. That's outstanding. Yeah, yeah.
1: Things happen for weird reasons. That's all I can say.
0: Oh, I've been there.
1: <laughs> but she, she completely took control of the situation. She coordinated with my wife where I was being airlifted to. The amazing thing about it was I never lost consciousness through the whole event which was a very unique experience because up until that point in my life, I don't think anybody ever could have accused me of being an empathetic person. It was just an emotion that if I felt it, I tamped it down real quick. Lying there in this ditch, hearing what was being said about me and interacting with them the best that I could – I experienced something I've never experienced before, which was this overwhelming sense of connectedness to all of the people who were rushing to my aid. And it was it was indescribable how comforting that feeling was. And it it, it kind of it made me question exactly how injured I actually was. Turned out I was injured pretty severely, but at the time <laughs> know, your brain's still trying to process exactly what happened.
0: It's amazing how anesthetic actual care from other beings can be.
1: Yes. And and to that point, I never understood that, which is kind of interesting, given the clinical rotations I did in hospitals when I was caring for a lot of patients. Perhaps what I was doing made more of an impact to them than I ever knew. Hindsight is interesting. But... After the accident, I'm now home, I'm immobilized, and I'm starting to develop symptoms of PTSD. So being a science nerd, I pull up PubMed and I start researching all the published literature on treatments for PTSD. And I stumbled on the MDMA trials being conducted by MAPS or sponsored by MAPS, I should say. And I went down the rabbit hole. I started reading everything I could about it because I never heard about psychedelics being used therapeutically. And, I mean, you've read the data. It's incredible. We don't have anything that is this efficacious.
0: Unparalleled in its efficaciousness and robustness and durability of efficacy, right?
1: hmm But what was surprising to me, though, was what I was reading in accounts of psychedelic experiences was, to me, mirrored what I was experiencing lying in the ditch. That feeling of ego dissolution, the connectivity to other people around you and nature. So that to me was this aha moment. And it became, all right, well, if if I know how I felt in that moment, And these medications are now supplying that level of comfort to individuals who are struggling with mental health disorders. I'm sold. I I need to figure out how to be a proponent of this in the best way that I can with my skill sets. So once I was able to return to work, I knew this was the direction I wanted to go in. So I created a practice group that focused on helping startup pharmaceutical companies and healthcare systems operate in the medicinal psychedelic space. Unfortunately, the firm wouldn't let me make that my sole focus. So
0: (laughs) It it sounds like you're the kind of guy that nobody lets have a sole focus. Not even you let yourself just have one focus.
1: This is true. This is true. But to me, there were underlying reasons why I wanted to focus on it. So I, I also sit on the board of a local mental health association. And a lot of the stories that that the board is informed of, of people who utilize our services, are just honestly mind-blowing. You couldn't write them if you wanted to. And to be able to hear that we are hopefully on the precipice of getting FDA approvals of medications that could radically improve people's lives that that's a driving force like none other. So the firm and I went our separate ways a couple of months ago, and I launched the new consultant business, which is hopefully going to continue to help these stakeholders bring these drugs to mainstream healthcare.
0: The trajectory on your story, and particularly your story around the near-death experience that you had, made me think of a quote from Dr. Stan Grof, who's kind of the godfather of LSD research out of the Czech Republic in the 20th century when they didn't make it illegal when everybody else did, and who developed transpersonal psychology that's influential at Naropa University and California Institute for Integrative Studies, where a lot of the psychedelic-assisted therapy programs are being run today. He said in one of his many books, there's no fundamental difference between the preparation for death and the practice of dying on the one hand, and spiritual practice leading to enlightenment on the other. I wonder if you'd be willing, from your perspective, having had a near-death experience, to comment on that
1: quote. I think it's completely accurate. I think they're one and the same, but you don't understand that until you were in the moment. Now, for me, my body seemed to be reacting like it was a near-death experience, but it wasn't. My vitals were stable. I was crushed, but amazingly, my vitals were stable. However, I've, I've often wondered if what I was experiencing was that hypothetical DMT dump that is thought to be associated mm-hmm.
0: with your death Yeah, yeah. You got your pineal gland flicked. <laughs> yep.
1: But I, I think that's true. It was, why do people seek spiritual enlightenment? They're trying to have a better understanding of not only themselves, but how they fit into the grand scheme of whatever the universe has planned near-death experiences based on people who have described what they have gone through it is very similar except it's almost like instead of seeking it they were allowed to peer a little bit behind the curtain so i think the quote is dead on i think there is very little difference between the two it's just with the near-death experience you might get a little bit more information
0: well in the uh you know you don't think of your experience as a near-death experience, but it was a sufficient crushing to produce the you know, over-encoding of memory and failure of memory elimination associated with developing some post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms after the fact, at the very least. How were you able to address some of you know, the period of recovery after this non-near-death experience that you had?
1: Anger. I guess it's the easiest way of putting it. So I I was told by multiple surgeons after they put me back together as best as they could that I was going to lose the use of my left arm. Okay. And like I said, I like a challenge. You tell me I can't do something and it's something that significant. Well, screw you. Watch me. <laughs> and it became everyday working towards the goal of getting the arm working again. And yeah, yeah. It works. There
0: it is. So anger gets shit done.
1: I, yeah, exactly. That is that is what got me through that initial stage. The 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 PTSD this is this is a little strange to talk about, but the, the PTSD was actually driven by an event that happened when they were loading me in the helicopter. For whatever reason, they had the overhead squawk on. So it's like the PA loudspeaker. I don't know why. But they loaded me in the helicopter and another call came in. A family was crossing the road about 20 miles away from me. They were all hit by a car. There were several children who were injured. One was critical and needed to be airlifted. And I had to listen to the pilot say, they couldn't because they just loaded me. And that that triggered something in me that it, it's something I have not been able to square. Because something about a, me being prioritized over a child really bothered me. And I think that was because at the time, I had two very small children at home. So a lot of the, the PTSD that I was experiencing didn't really have to do with the impact or the accident. It all had to do with that event. Like if I hadn't have gotten myself into that accident, this child would have been cared for.
0: Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. You know, there's a, a burgeoning body of literature around whether post-traumatic stress disorder is, you know, a worthwhile term and everybody likes to play with words in the APA and come up with a DSM-19 or whatever the next version is of how we're supposed to bill people for suffering or, or whatever. There's a burgeoning body of literature around something that's being called moral injury that I've been paying attention to. I don't know if you had a chance to read any of published papers around that, but the idea that, you know, whatever it is that our nervous systems endure in these situations. And then the after effects, you know, it was called shell shock back in world war two. And then it developed into, you know, PTSD now, but it seems that there's this moral component to it where you can endure an awful lot physically, but then you hear something morally injurious, like they're picking me instead of a little kid. And that's what sticks with people over and over and over again. And, in, you know, in my clinical practice, working with veterans and, you know, frontline healthcare workers and law enforcement and fire and EMS and active military, there's there's this moral injury component that seems more to me to be the. The center of the center of a lot of the suffering and the lingering, you know, syndrome that we call, we've called PTSD for so long. I think there's a lot more work to be done around figuring out what exactly is going on there and how best to address it. But that's just kind of an aside. Sorry for taking over your episode with just my podcast there.
1: No, I think, I think we should, we should dive into that a little bit more. I have not read the literature, but it makes a lot of sense based on my perspective, and I'm sure it does interacting with your, your patients. I think in those situations, you are in a heightened level of information gathering. Like in my context, my body had no idea what was going on with it. So I was taking in every piece of information I possibly could. And I think you would be in a more emotionally susceptible state to hear news like that, as you said, you were prioritized over someone else or something along those lines. So that, that moral compass takes a bigger swing than maybe it would have if you had not been injured. That's a possibility. I I don't know. But what, what's, what's strange to me about the, the accident? I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing special about it. There wasn't anything noble about it. It was just an accident. But I have been, in a lot of accidents over the years, because I'm, I'm one of those people where I've, I've done a lot of extreme things and I believe you can't be on the limit until you've gone a little bit over the limit. And a couple of times I've gone over the limit. I've messed myself up pretty good. I've, I've been put together (laughs) more than once, but in none of those instances did I have the reaction that I had this time. And I the only thing i can attribute it to is maybe age but also the fact that now that i am a father there was a a new a new level of emotional impact
0: yeah you know there's a a chapter in my book where i tell a story about the absolute worst day of my life and i've been through a whole lot of physiological injuries that just made me laugh you know uh that weren't really an issue you know like you just get through it right no big deal but it felt like the universe conspired together against me to put me in a situation where I just had to do the most horrendous thing that I could ever imagine doing and I never thought that I would even talk about it to anyone like the first time my wife read the story was when I gave her a pre-pub copy of the book you know And it was, it was a morally injurious situation that I was put into. And, uh, you know, I could put up with an awful lot, but that, that just haunted me for a really long time. And I think that that's part of why my interest in, you know, the literature around moral injury was spawned in the first place. It seems like some signal over noise there to, that's worth following into the future of diagnosing and treating people with quote unquote PTSD, especially as we're getting a whole lot of new tools Lord willing and the Creek don't rise for trying to treat, you know, the people who need it the most. So keep an eye out for that sort of stuff. Uh, everybody listening, pay attention to the literature around moral injury. Uh, you got anything else you'd want to say around any of that before I rock and roll into question number two?
1: No, let's get to two.
0: Yeah. So what an awesome story. I appreciate you sharing that with me. I ask everybody about their story to talk some about memory. And then I transition to asking about what are your intentions so that we can talk about imagination? What are you taking those memories and making as you move forward into the future?
1: I was put on this new path for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but my intention is to utilize the skill set that I have to help as many people as possible address their mental health struggles. That is my new intention in life. Psychedelic therapy appears to be one of the most efficacious ways of doing so based on the clinical data that we currently have. And this is the role that I can play. I can help companies bring these drugs to market.
0: You're the the man for the job. You're the Mac, huh? (laughs) Actually,
1: I might have to use that as a slogan. I like that.
0: I'm going to want some royalties on the back end from that one. Okay. <laughs> you you write up the contract and I'll sign it. I don't know how any of this stuff works, but it seems like you do. <laughs> sounds
1: good. We can do that.
0: So, yeah, you've got this new, am I am I pronouncing, uh, is it Vivanti? Am I saying it right whenever? Yes. Okay. Tell me a bit more about that.
1: The company itself?
0: Yeah. Like, what are you doing? What do you want to do with that? You know, the question four is what are you creating? And it sounds like that's kind of the next chapter for you is this consulting firm that you've launched, where do you see that going? What we're
1: creating, what I'm creating, hopefully, phase one is the consulting company. What the consulting company is intended to do is to help drug sponsors, clinicians, healthcare systems, navigate this regulatory maze that very simply could put a halt to everything people are working for in the psychedelic space if you don't navigate it correctly. What's interesting about it is the maze is changing as people are playing the game. There's so much interest now on state and federal levels in trying to bring psychedelics to market sooner rather than later. There's a lot of proposals and a lot of things are moving in different directions. And if you're not on top of all that, It's easy to make a misstep. Bringing a drug to market as a prescription is one of the most heavily regulated industries in the world. And when you get it wrong, there are big consequences. So what are those consequences? You you need to sit down and evaluate what happens when we get it wrong. Because that's not a question companies and innovators want to think about. They want to think about getting their product to market. But to do that, you have to do risk assessments. You have to make sure you're in compliance. And that is where I help. I help take that level of thinking off your shoulders so you can focus on the stuff that is needed to get it to market.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You're the man for the job. I like this a (laughs) lot. Yeah. 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 So that was phase one. You made it sound like there's uh, you know, a limitless amount of phases out there.
1: No, no, I'm I'm seeing this as, as three phases. So there's there's two other projects that are in the works. Unfortunately I'm gonna leave you with a cliffhanger because they're not quite ready for announcement
0: yet. That's okay. I like cliffhangers.
1: We can come back and talk about it in the future once they're announced. They're interesting.
0: Yeah definitely. I'm okay with that. I can I can hang on a cliff for quite a long time. <laughs> for a big guy, surprisingly Strong fingertips. (laughs) So I'm going to go back to question three then. You talked a little about your intentions and a little bit about what you're creating in the business there. The way that I like to try to bridge the past to the future and bring it into the present moment is with gratefulness. So what are you grateful for?
1: My family and the second chance I was given to stay with them and help others. And that sounds like a cop-out, but statistically... I should not have survived that accident. When, when you look at the, they actually have accident statistics with the Department of Highway, whatever it is in New York. Very, very small likelihood of surviving that. The odds are even lower of surviving that without a permit neurological injury. So I was given a pass. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. I don't understand why, but I have to make it count. And I am very grateful for that.
0: Yeah. Tell me a bit more. What else are you grateful for? Family and being there for them.
1: And the opportunity to help. I mean, all of us need to assist each other with our journeys. Everyone is on a journey. We don't often think of it that way because that's not not what society tells us to focus on. But we're all on these self-improvement journeys. Some people have a much harder go of it based on past experiences and traumas. The opportunity to understand that and see that and contribute to the betterment of people in need is something I'm grateful for. And we all have different ways of doing that. Your podcast, I think, is a great way of doing that because you're opening up new people, audience listeners, to individuals and perspectives they may never have known. For me, I've got this weird ass skill set from all of the college that I went to. So I got a particular set of
0: with. skills yes. acquired over a long career. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that uniqueness should allow me to help people in the one way that I can without directly ever meeting them. I can help bring the medications that can make a difference in their lives to market.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that you're in that space and that you're doing that work. It gives me hope for the pharmaceutical industry for what that's worth. And I know there's a whole lot of people who don't have a whole lot of hope for that industry across the globe.
1: And and that's, that's the interesting thing about this space, the medicinal psychedelic space. So you have the negative stigma of big pharma. Pharma in general, but big pharma really cemented it. And then... For people who are traditionally proponents of big pharma, you have this negative stigma associated with psychedelics from the 60s. But now we're trying to play in the same sandbox. So good books are going to come out of this in 10, 20 years. But for the time (laughs) being, living it is a little strange. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Maybe we'll put our heads together and we'll co-write one of those or something like that 10 or 20 years down the line. We'll see.
1: I'd be up for it.
0: Yeah. Sounds like fun to me. If I'm still if I'm if I'm still around and kicking, you know, if I haven't had a motorcycle accident, then uh, you know that'd be <sighs> Don't a fun want time. One that's all I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, God, this has been a great conversation. I've loved every second of it. I'm going to ask you question number five, though. Who are you really, Kyle W. Mack?
1: There's nothing like ending an interview with a question that has boggled some of the most gifted philosophers of Western culture. So, so thank you for that. <laughs> I would say in today's society, I think too often we're told to define ourselves by the work we do or the titles we hold. And I just don't think any of that's accurate. It doesn't describe who we really are. I think you learn a lot about who you really are when you're faced with adversity. And I mean, situations that seem truly insurmountable. I am a person who never gives up. If there is a goal that is worthy, I'm not going to give up. That is what I learned about myself. And I will do whatever it takes to achieve that goal. And through that, I am a person who is going to help others navigate the difficult parts of their journey in whatever way I can. And that, while trying to address this incredibly difficult question, I think <laughs> is if I'm being honest with myself, who I am really as of now sitting here today. Yes. <laughs> who knows tomorrow? I
0: Well, I appreciate you, uh, you know, taking a stab at the hardest question that anybody could possibly be asked. <laughs> It's it's fun to hear everybody's answers. You gotta you gotta tune in and and see what everybody else has to say around that question. It's a good time for sure.
1: Well, it, it's you really got to sit down in front of the mirror and stare at yourself for a while and see how honest you are willing to be. That's a tough question.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Uh, your answer. You got any any final thoughts that you want to share with our audience?
1: I'm also very grateful to all of the people in the medicinal psychedelic space who are working to make others' lives better, including you. I think this podcast is a great idea. I hope you continue it as long as possible. And to the extent I can help someone, if you hear this, reach out.
0: Yeah, I will. <laughs> as soon as we hang up here, I'm going to go through my list with uh, with Dr. Kyle W. Mack of all the people <laughs> and all the problems. <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure hosting you on this podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed being here.
0: Absolutely. Doc out.